Coach John Daly here back again. Special guest today on August 13th, 2020 is Miss Ashley Sheets. Ashley, I've known for um, a long time. I've known her family too. Um, again, Ashley, help the old coach out here. It's got to be at least 10 years or so since you graduated. It is. I graduated in 2010. Oh my God. How long ago was that? It seems like probably on one hand it went by really fast and then on the other hand it's like, oh my God, it has been a long time, 10 years, right? Absolutely, yeah. Well, if you can see my shirt that I have on. Fire up. <laughs> fire up, chips. Um, Ashley did go to the same university that uh, I went to and met my wife at, Central Michigan University, where proud chip was. Um, but Ashley, how are you doing today? And you're talking all the way from down in Florida, aren't you? Yes, in Clearwater, Florida. Um, my boyfriend and I moved here together in November. Fired up. Was that a well thought out plan or was it a flip of a coin or how did that happen? Um, so when we first met, um, he's from New Jersey um, and he had originally planned to leave Michigan within about six months of us meeting. Um, so when he met me, he decided to stay a little bit longer. <laughs> nice. Good. Smart man. Um, yeah. And he, he had always wanted to live somewhere warm um, mm. and he threw out California. And so I helped to remind him that everyone that we love lives on the East Coast. So we should probably <laughs> at least stay on this side of the country. Um, so when my family and our significant others went to Florida for our Disney trip, um, I kind of said, well, what about Florida? And he said, well, there's palm trees and it's warm. I, I can do that. Mm. Um, so that was kind of the little spark in 2017. Um, and then shortly after he started applying to different jobs down here, um, and about, it was about a year and a half or so process. And then we decided to move down. Wow. Good move for you. Never looking back. No, it's, I love it here. Awesome. <laughs> we, we enjoy the weather. We enjoy the solar lifestyle and we love our new jobs. So. Oh, that's fantastic. Good for you. I'm very happy for you guys. That's awesome. Thank you. That's awesome. So how'd you guys meet? Uh, we met online. Okay, um, good, good. I had, I'd been online dating for a little while, um, you know, kind of towards the point of being done with online dating. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and I met him, and we went on a date um, in Royal Oak to Lily's Seafood, and uh, we ended up hanging out for close to like six hours. Oh, so. wow. Wow, so <laughs> yeah. kind of an instant connection type of thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Very cool. Well, again, I'm very, ha very happy for you guys. Well, take us back a little bit in the story here. Um, did you grow up in St. Clair Shores? Did you go to Lakeshore Public Schools all, all from K-12? No. So I um, went from kindergarten to eighth, uh, kindergarten to seventh grade in the East Detroit schools. Okay. Um, so, and then I came to Kennedy Middle School in eighth grade. Gotcha. And then on to the high school. Yes. Very good. Because I remember, how many classes did we work together on? Was it a couple or just one? I think two. Yeah, okay, I had yeah. personal finance and then I'm trying to, I can't remember exactly what the other one was, but I know I had personal finance. Okay. Because I always, I think I met you before you had a class with me, whether it's yes. out in the hallway or, you know, just, you know, through friends and, yep. you know, just members talking and saying hi to you. But um, I, I got to say, I do remember back then, and I think I still see it today, um, you having a lot of confidence. Is, is that accurate? Is it always been that way? Because um, I certainly remember that about you, just in the way you spoke and you carried yourself. Yeah, um, I think that I do. And I think when I have moments where I don't have a lot of confidence, I'm very much of a proponent of fake it until you make it. <laughs> okay, good, good. I like it. So I think I'm just, I think 
I think I am self-assured in the way that like, if I don't know something, I'm going to find it out mm. and I'm going to learn it. Very so. cool. Did you know what you wanted to get into when you were in high school? Did things kind of fall into place during then or after or? Um, a little bit after. So in high school, um, I was actually in Miss McCumber's um, journalism class. Yes. And I was the editor in chief of the newspaper. It was oh, very yeah. much a part of my identity. Yeah. Um, and then I went to Central and, and that was a driving factor that I have a great journalism program. Mm -hmm. um, and I took my first class and it was just not <laughs> what I had expected. Um, it was much different from the small school newspaper. Um, and kind of in that time, I had some personal things going on with different family members and friends. Um, and I decided that I wanted what I thought would fit more is to be in a helping profession. Um, so I'd originally been a social work major, um, took a family studies class for like an elective and decided that I liked that better. So hmm. ultimately graduated with a degree in family studies with a minor in women's studies. So things can change, can't they? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> I, think, I think a lot of people are afraid of that. I think, you know, because as we all know, there's a lot of people that go off to college, get this degree or whatever, and um, they typically may not end up doing something with that degree. They end up doing other things, don't they? Right. Yeah, absolutely. So was it easy, hard? I mean, like you said, when you first took that first journalism class up there, you're like, you know what, man, I better rethink this. So it obviously came to you. It's not like you got the degree in journalism and then, oh, let's go back and get another one. So you, right. made, that, <laughs> you made that shift, which was good. Um, yeah. were, were there people that you had uh, around you at the time that kind of guided you and kind of gave you some, some uh, feedback and stuff for doing that? Yeah, I think at first I was scared um, mm. because, I mean, luckily I did it early on in retrospect. I did it early on in my college career. So it wasn't, I wasn't too deeply invested in the journalism program yet. But I think that I was scared because you hear a lot of stories about somebody getting through all four years and then deciding it wasn't what they wanted to do. Yeah. Um, but I was scared because I was so passionate about journalism and it was uncomfortable to come against that wall of this isn't what I like anymore. <laughs> you know, in the real world, I'm not going to like this. Um, so I think I, I talked to my mom about it a lot. I was scared to call her and tell her that I wanted to change my major. And she, she just laughed and she's like, do what you want to do, you know, whatever's going to make you happy. Um, so once I, you know, once I had taken that first family studies class, it just things clicked in my head and I was able to make all of these connections and then that became my passion. It just, it ended up falling into place and making sense. Fantastic. Cause as we all know, it's a heck of a lot easier getting up every morning, loving what you do. Yeah. Going to a place that you like going, right? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's backtrack to your family a little bit. Um, I've known your family for a long time. Um, you guys have got a great family. Every time I see you guys together, pictures or whatever, um, there's a lot of fun going on. Yes. And so why don't you speak a little bit about, start with your mom and dad, and then yeah. talk about your siblings a little bit about um, just something that you've gotten from them, something that you've taken with you all the way down to Florida that is helping you in your lifetime uh, for being part of this family. Yeah, we are, we are a rowdy bunch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, so my parents actually met when they were in high school. Um, they have a very very serious like fairy tale love story uh, about mm. when they were in high school and got married pretty young when they were teenagers um so they've been together over 30 years now nice. um 
And so my dad was in the military um, at the time. So they moved to Oklahoma and um, had a life of their own pretty young. Um, and then started, they had me uh, when they were in their early 20s. Um, and then my sister is um, five years younger than me and my brother seven years younger than me. Wow. Um, so I think... I think I, it's funny, I'm a pretty good combination of both of my parents. Yeah. Um, the way that I think about things, my sister's a lot like my dad, my brother's a lot like my mom, and I feel like I got kind of a mix of both of their personalities. Yeah. Um, so my mom is very fiery, very passionate, um, very serious about things that she cares about. So I kind of took that piece. Um, and my dad is very much the, it, it's funny, all of my guy friends growing up were so scared of him, but he's like... A big softy, you know, he's, he's gentle, he's hardworking, he's just such a loving dad. Um, and I think I got the, the hardworking, loving piece from him and the fiery passion piece from my mom and kind of just combine it together. <laughs> Very cool. It's a good mix, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And then how about your sister? And how about your brother? My sister is, she, we're super close. I'm super close to both my siblings. Um, and my sister, it's funny, she, she feels emotion so deeply. Um, mm. And so many people wouldn't guess that because she does have kind of this hard exterior sometimes, but she, she's really taught me to kind of just like, let yourself feel things, you know? Mm. Um, and my brother, um, we haven't always gotten along. He's <laughs> taught me a lot about conflict management. <laughs> I like the way you put that, that's yeah. very cool. Um, but right now he is, um, he's in the army. He is in currently in Poland. Um, and he's, you know, he's taught me a lot of about, like I said, conflict management, patience, um, and just really, you know, being strong and overcoming things. He dealt with a lot of, um, a lot of bullying and a lot of adversity when he was in high school. Um, and that was really tough for like our whole family because we're so close. Um, but he, he really, you know, he's grown up quite a bit since then. So. It's funny how we all tend to do that, don't we? We all tend to grow yes. up a little bit. That's <laughs> yep. great. Well, good. You know what? I know you guys are close, and I just uh, love you guys. Uh, you've been so supportive of me. Um, you've been so supportive of Lakeshore and, and a lot of the teachers there. And uh, it's just been a joy working with you guys there. So I, I appreciate that little glimpse of, uh, of the family, which is really cool. Yeah, we appreciate all of you guys. And, you know, I know that especially with you, we, we all had our own separate special relationship with you. So, yeah, there's definitely, you know, like you mentioned, the years apart. Yeah. Well, there all was that little separation um, where you guys weren't in the same class, you know, because you weren't in close to the grades at all as far as, being, right. you know, uh, so you were senior and your sister was she would have been in seventh or eighth grade. Okay, so, so she we, weren't, we never were in high school together at gotcha. all. Gotcha. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes the two of them were a little bit. Right. At the, at the tail end of one and beginning of the other. Mm -hmm. Well, you yeah. guys are awesome. So I just, yeah, it, it's been great working with you guys. Um, so the, the current job that you have now is doing what? Um, so I'm a substance abuse counselor. Okay. And definitely fulfillment. You, you see obviously a lot of need. Um, it's pretty mm -hmm. eye-opening stuff that uh, you're in the right place at, at the right time, so to speak, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. So um, before this, after I graduated, I think it was graduated from Central in December of 2014. And then in August of 2015, 
Um, I started working as a foster care worker when I was still in Michigan in the Port Huron right. area. Um, and then I switched agencies to work at one um, a little closer to home in Oak Park, um, which I did a lot with uh, the Detroit area. Um, and then when I came down here, I decided it was time to, time to change a little bit. Um, and so that's, this is actually one of the first jobs that I found and applied for um, and ended up getting uh, shortly after we moved down here. So. Right up. Again, that confidence for, for leaving your home state. Was there a little apprehension at all, you know, when you, when you a left? A little. Yeah, a little bit. Um, just because it's the only place I'd ever lived. Right. You know, it. I was used to kind of, um, I talk a lot about, you know, when I was younger, we moved around a little bit. Um, and so it wasn't necessarily a place that I felt like was home. I, CMU a little bit, I felt a lot, you know, I felt a lot of connection there and felt like that was home, but it was more as people as home. Yes. Um, and so all of those people that were in Michigan were my home. So that was a little tough leaving them. Um, and Johnny and I talked about that quite a bit and how that was gonna be for me. Um, <laughs> but it's nice now to have, you know, you're, you always have a computer in your pocket so, you know, if you need to reach out to somebody, you can. Mm -hmm. So that's been helpful. It's totally true. Yeah, we do, we do have some power in our hands, don't we? Yes. <laughs> keep, keep it in touch. So I'm remembering, I think um, it was before, obviously, you, you were even looking at moving to Florida, but I ran into you, uh, it was a time at Walmart or something, and I think you yeah. were, yeah, working up in Port Huron. Yep. And I don't know if the Oak Park gig was happening yet, but it was right around there that, that we met and talked. Yeah. Yeah, so I know we've been, you know, trying to keep in touch, and uh, you reached out and mentioned something about a podcast. I'm like, hey, you want to come on? And you're, you're yeah. <laughs> I mean, it took like two seconds for you. Absolutely, I'd love to. Yeah. So that's why we got we got you here, which is good. Yeah. Um, so mention your family a little bit. Um, I, I I think I have the answer here to this question, but what is it? Uh, what is it about Johnny, uh, your boyfriend, that just puts a big smile on your face or just gets you laughing? Because I've I've seen some things. I've, I saw a few posts. And yeah. so I'm going to throw my answer out after I hear your answer. <laughs> okay. what, what is the, a big connection that you have uh, with him? Um, it's funny. I'm going to preface this with, I hope he doesn't hear this. Because he's <laughs> ego a little, a little low here. So I'm going to preface it with that in case he hears it. Right. Um, I love that. <laughs> but no, his sense of humor is my favorite thing. Um, our, our sense of humor meshes so well. And, you know, I have... I have a sarcastic sense of humor. I have a very dry sense of humor. And I think that was our instant connection on our first date. Um, he's also, which I wasn't, you know, I wasn't used to. He's very accepting of me being as passionate as I am about things. I, you know, I'm very strong in beliefs that I hold and very passionate about things. And he's the first person that I've ever dated that's been like, you're right do you you know he's very encouraging of everything that i do so those are the two biggest things that i appreciate very good that's that's right up the lines of making you know the sense of humor which i think is yeah. key <laughs> in, in a relationship especially one to, to last a long time but i've seen a few uh of your posts or comments where he does like dancing doesn't he he does <laughs> like it breaks out anytime any place and you've, you've yes. gotten over the embarrassment. There's no embarrassment, right? You just, oh, no. just laugh and just have some yeah. fun with them and stuff. So is, is he a good dancer? He is. Yeah. The the first wedding that we went to together, I had no idea. And he just <laughs> busted out those moves on the dance floor. And the, I mean, the best part about it is he, he doesn't drink. 
So that's completely sober, fully his personality. Wow. Yeah. Um, so then he is just very into it. You know, he did a dancing competition on stage when we were in Mexico at Senor Frogs. He just, every wedding and every event that we go to, that's that's his thing. And every, everybody loves it now. They expect it at this wow. point. So <laughs> That's very cool. So it's a very natural, um, it's inside of him. It's who he is. It's in his DNA. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, so speaking about relationships, um, you know, you, you mentioned your mom and dad have been together a long time. Um, what do you think the secret is as far as uh, their, their length of uh, their relationship? But also, it sounds like part of that answer is what you and Johnny might have a little bit, too, with each other. Yeah. What are I your think, thoughts? I think what I see a lot with my parents is they've always been a team. You know, there's, it's never been, oh, well, dad said no, so I'll go ask mom kind of a thing. They've, they've always, you know, or vice versa. It would definitely right. be right around. Um, but, you know, they've always been a team. They've always been on the same page with things. And we would ask them for things growing up and they'd say, well, I have to talk to your mom or I have to talk to your dad. Mm. Um, and they don't, they don't make a single decision without the other person. Um, and I think they, they have a lot of respect for one another and they have a lot of love for one another. Um, I think those are, those are the biggest things. Cool. They're, they're working together, communication. Yeah. Absolutely. Sticking together, ups and downs. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, what was it about CMU that you loved? I, so I think in high school, not that I had a hard time making friends, but I think I had a hard time finding my place. Really? Um, yeah. And hmm. when I got to Central, um, I found a community, I found such a large community that I loved. Um, I have a really core group of friends that I actually met freshman year in the dorms um, that we still, you know, we go on trips together, we have parties together, we still keep in contact, um, nice. you know, we do Zoom calls, everything. Um, and I think it's just where I found my place. I think it's where I really came to understand what I wanted out of life and the kind of people that I wanted to surround myself with. And it was just such, it's a, you know, it's a big, small school. It's not yes. a tiny, tiny school, but it's not a huge university either. And it's able to feel like home and you're able to feel like you're getting, you're getting the attention that you need to learn and you're not just getting lost in a sea of people. Good points. Yeah, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of light bulbs that came on for me there. Yeah. You know, my career, uh, meeting my wife, uh, the friends that we still talk with today. Uh, my wife and I, we will, I mean, we graduated uh, together in 1989 so that was a while ago and we've been married 30 years uh, but there I don't think there's ever been a year that I can remember that we haven't been back up there yeah you know we just love going up to that town and that place is very special so I'm glad you found found some of that too which is good yeah. um, what, what dorm did you start off in where, where did you live in Wheeler in the towers okay. yeah the zoo over there fired up yes <laughs> all right how long did, did you stay there just the one year in the dorms and move off campus so I stayed in Wheeler freshman year and then sophomore year, um, I moved with, well, a girl who would end up being my roommate throughout all of uh, CMU, but we moved into the, um, the upperclassmen dorms in the towers where you kind of had your own separate rooms. Okay. Um, so we stayed there for a year and then the last two years did apartments. Fired up, man. Great times, huh? Yeah. Good deal. So I know you have many passions um, and uh, books, are, are books one of them? Yeah, do you absolutely. Like, do you like reading? What, what, are you, yeah. what are you currently reading? And is there a favorite book um, 
that kind of stuck with you that is kind of uh, whether it's empowered you inspired you that you've got a lot out of so it's funny i before this year i was actually talking to johnny and you know he was just asking what kind of books i like to read so i was telling him that i read a lot of fiction and kind of looked at me a little weird and he's like i feel like every book that you've read this year has been nonfiction." I don't know. So I went into my Goodreads, which is where I keep track, and sure enough, all of them had been nonfiction. So wow. I guess I like nonfiction. Um, Good for you. I, yeah. Um, so I'm actually currently reading um, a book about sobriety um, from kind of a mixture of, you know, the work that I do and dating someone who doesn't drink. Um, it's kind of just made me think about my own relationship with alcohol and you know what that's like so that's the book that i'm currently reading um and i'm taking a break from drinking for a couple months and just kind of you know analyzing my own relationship with that part of our society yeah um and then i think one book that i read this year that really stuck with me um was a book uh called the title right look at you you got your notes right there ready to go (laughs) Always prepared. Keep track of everything I read. So. I love it. Um, all right. It is called All You Can Ever Know by Nicole Chung. Um, and it's it's a memoir. Um, it's her story about being uh, adopted. Hmm. So um, working in foster care uh, kind of gave me a passion to, in the future, want to be a foster parent and eventually adopt children too. Um, so I've been trying to kind of read anything that I can on how to, you know, be a good parent to a child that wasn't biologically yours. Um, So this book, she talks about um, going through that whole process. She is um, of Asian descent. Um, The family that she was adopted by was white um, and just kind of talks about her experiences going through that and then actually connecting with her biological sister and learning about, um, you know, kind of the family life that she would have had had she not been adopted. Um, so that was just really interesting, um, because, you know, either way, if I, whether or not I have kids on my own or I adopt them, they won't necessarily look like me all the way because my boyfriend is Asian. Um, Mm. so that was really interesting. Just hearing about somebody else's experience, you know, not being a white person. Wow. That's very, you know what, that's enlightening. That's, um, very empowering, very encouraging to, to hear you going that deep not only in, in the first part of your answer where you're reflecting on, you know, how alcohol is in your life, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I love having my drinks, but my wife and I talk about it all the time. Hey, maybe we'll have a night off tonight, you know, where we're not yeah. having that <laughs> glass of wine. And um, I think being mindful of, of those things is pretty yeah. powerful. But for you to also start looking ahead to where and when you want to be a parent in some way, shape or form, making a difference with somebody, you know, another person, another human being, that, that really says a lot about you, that you're looking that deep uh, into something and, and you're reading about it too. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of my experience that I had when I was a foster care worker kind of did that for me because you saw the difference between, you know, because everybody goes into being a foster parent for different reasons. And you saw the difference between the kids who were really worked with and really encouraged and really were in enriching, supporting uh, foster homes. And then you saw the opposite side of the coin, unfortunately, too. So it was always just, 
instilled in me that, you know, no matter what my avenue is for having kids, I want to be supportive of them and to, especially if I do adopt or do foster care, I want to learn as much about their life and, you know, things that they may be missing out on because they aren't in their biological family mm. and be able to kind of help them navigate that because a lot of kids who are adopted and in foster care struggle with that. Wow, that, that's powerful. I, I love how you're looking to gather this information, not only for you yourself, right, in your future, but also your job. I mean, because you do come yeah. in contact with just tons of people and, you know, just yeah. understanding, just understanding each other, I think, is something more, that we need more and more in, in the world, yeah. let alone our country. <laughs> right. <laughs> we definitely need to have some of this. And so I, I, I've been reading and I'm almost done with this. And so I'm going to send you the, um, the link of the podcast that I heard. Yeah. Um, I think it was Brian Buffini uh, interviewed uh, Miles McPherson and he oh, okay. wrote The Third Option. And so there's a couple of things out of this and it's titled The Third Option, Hope for a Racially Divided Nation. Um, and obviously, you know, it came out at a perfect time. Um, yeah. It's always been a perfect time, I think. We, as we yeah. haven't solved the problem yet. Uh, right. Getting along. Uh, but I want to just throw out a couple of things and just get your, your input or your thoughts on it because I think you have a unique perspective, um, not only with what you do, but who you are, who I've always known you to be, somebody who has passion ab about people. So this is um, coming from, it's part three, and it's titled You, okay? Uh, our goal in the chapters to come is to say with more honesty and clarity, I better understand you. This is only possible when we understand the burdens associated with walking in someone else's shoes. So I've always been somebody who has tried to be empathetic and to walk in someone else's shoes. And I think it was Brian Buffini, and they might have talked about it in this uh, interview with, with Miles McPherson, where Brian brings up the point, you know, about walking in other people's shoes, mm -hmm. but you better get out of your own shoes first. You know, and I, I, when he said that, I'm like, oh my God, it's like totally like common sense. Like, yeah, to really feel and see what they are going through. How important is that? Because I think you've always tried to have been, have been like this, empathetic and to see yeah. things from people's point of view. Are they, are, yeah. they, are they dead on with this point? Absolutely. Um, it's actually funny. I, I kind of, it's, the biggest thing is that's a lifelong process. Yes. And I think that's what a lot of people don't understand is you're not just gonna wake up one day and be cured of your biases. Right. Um, and you still have to every day kind of notice what you're thinking is and notice what your judgment judgments are. Um, and I actually, the day that I interviewed for this job, so where I work, it's, it's a methadone clinic. So the people that I serve um, are addicted to opiates. Um, mm. So either prescription medication or heroin. Um, and, you know, we all have in our minds what that person looks like because we are all human and we all have those judgments. We all have those biases. Mm. Um, and I went in for my interview and I was sitting in the lobby and a man walked over and he had on, you know, a sweater and a vest and khakis and some nice shoes. And I thought, wow, he, you know, they really dress up here because normally in my field, it's kind of more business casual. And he got in line to get medication. Mm. And I went, oh, wow, he's, he's a patient he's here because he has an addiction. And in my mind right then I went, oh, I have to check that at the door when I get here because 
these people are going to come from all different walks of life and all different backgrounds and have completely different stories. And this, you know, addiction doesn't discriminate. And I think that was like, you know, that was the moment that I stepped foot into that building and I went, oh, I have to, I have to check myself there. Oh, wow. You know, so it's, I think that's the biggest thing that people don't understand is you're not just going to be cured of that. It's something, mm -hmm. it's a process that you have to do every single day to, like you said, take off your shoes, take off those walls and those blinders that you have up mm -hmm. to be able to say, I can listen now. I can hear you now. How emotional is it for you working where you're working? I mean, are there times you come home and not only you drain, but have you just kind of uh, kind of sat down and cried and um, just kind of let loose and to feel better because you have to deal with a lot, I would imagine. Oh yeah, yeah. There's it's very emotional. Um, you know, I think I think I had a lot more of those days when I was working in foster care because kids are a lot more helpless. Mm. Um, a lot of the kids didn't have control over what was going on and that made it harder um, oh. because the things that were happening to them, they couldn't control. And it was all up to the adults that were around them that weren't necessarily making either, you know, they weren't necessarily the wrong decisions, but they may not have been the decisions that affected the kids in the correct way. Um, but I think with this job too, I mean, you know, you, addiction is also, a lifelong process and so people will have you know six months to a year where everything's going great and then something happens out of their control where you know somebody dies or they lose their job or a big traumatic event happens and then they're right back to using because that's the coping skill that they've learned so there's a lot of ups and downs um, and I think the biggest thing you know that I've learned in this field is you just have to you have to lean on your people for support because you go to work all day and you're the support of all of your patients and all of your clients and then you have to have somebody to come home and be like I just can't do life anymore <laughs> I need you know I need some tea and I need to go yep. to bed <laughs> hey, don't plug absolutely yeah oh, my god wow that's awesome I, I just love you have um man you're like an old soul. You you have so much wisdom, you know, at your age, and and you're. It sounds like you're in the perfect spot to to where you need to be. Like yeah, help, I, helping these people. I get a lot of really positive feedback, you know, from my supervisors and from my patients, and it just feels good because I know that a lot of my patients they'll tell me I don't I don't have any friends anymore because they had to cut people off and family doesn't support me right now because they know everything that I'm doing. So right. it's like for the half hour that I spend with them a week, I am that person to be like, okay, what do we have to do today? You know, what, what do we have to talk about? What do you have to get off your chest? And then let's make an action plan to go forward to next week. So what we have to work on this week so that we can get you in a better place than you were this week. Wow. It, it, this just fits. So, and I didn't, see the I, I saw a little bit of a tie-in but this tie-in is awesome what's coming with what i gotta read here um so later on in the book he talks about um honorable assumptions lead to honorable results as the bible says love is patient love is kind it is not proud it does not dishonor others it is not self-seeking it is not easily angered it keeps no record of wrongs love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. 
Or in the words of Maya Angelou, love recognizes no barriers. It jumps hurdles, leaps fences, penetrates walls to arrive at its destination full of hope. And I see that, I see these, I see these words in you uh, and what you bring to these people because you're right, they've had to make decisions to leave relationships, leave friends because those friends were no good for them, right? Yeah. On, on the other side, they have family and other friends that, you know what, you've used up your trust with us right. and we can't, you know, you, you go fix yourself and, you know, we'll see if we can talk later type of thing. Yes. So they've got to build that trust. Yeah, yeah, they've pushed them away. And here you are, you know, you're not judging, you're supporting, you're being tough with them, you're holding them to the line, you're helping them. There's, you know, they gotta learn to help themselves. But um, I just find that little piece amazing with what love is all about. Yeah. And uh, you bring that to them, don't you? Yeah, and I think something I actually, two conversations that I had just this week, um, you know, we, they take drug tests every month. And so two of my patients came back with positive drug tests and, immediately you could, when I said, you know, last drug screen came back with X, Y, and Z in it, um, you can immediately see the body language change and immediately those defenses go up and, you know, they're apologizing. And I, I stopped both of them and I said, this is your journey. This is what you are doing for yourself. You don't have to say sorry to me. I'm not mad at you. I'm not judging you. Yeah. This, is, this is a slip this happens and now we just have to work on what are we going to do to make sure it doesn't happen again for you you know and that's another big theme in what i do is you know you can have all of these people that you want to make promises to and all of these people that you want to be clean and do better for but realistically if you're not doing it for yourself you're not there yet you wow. have to want it for yourself so there's that um kind of, you know, they're looking for forgiveness from you, but it's really got to be their own. Right. Wow. And that, oh man, this is fitting in perfectly. The third thing I wanted to show you <laughs> or talk to you about, um, where he says, how many nights have you lain in bed arguing with quote unquote someone else, but really it's your own conscience about what's happened or how you should respond. As you're arguing with yourself, those homely children, he, in, early in the book, he talked about homely children of this negativity, okay? Uh -huh. um, those homely children of your unforgiveness develop scenarios and rehearse hypothetical responses. They position your heart to express itself in a way that honors resentment, retaliation, anger, and hate instead of forgiveness and grace. And so it sounds like, you know, without you even referencing this book, this is what you are bringing to these people. These are, yeah. these are the battles that are going on inside of them yeah. that, that you are bringing grace to them, that you are bringing, you know, a shoulder to cry on, a hand to lift them up with, and, you know, a shove in the back, go in this direction, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So how powerful is that knowing that this, you know, what this guy's talking about is what you're doing? Yeah, that's awesome. It's a... Uh... You know, and it's funny because there are times and it's just, you know, it comes with the job. They asked about it in my interview where, you know, how would you handle a situation where someone comes in on a level 10? Mm -hmm. And I always have to make sure that I'm maintained at a very low level. And, you know, they'll come in and they'll scream and yell because they see it as you didn't do something that you were supposed to do and, you know, whatever. And so I always 
I'll let them have a cooling off period and then they'll come back and it's always, you know, we'll sit down and we'll talk about it. And, you know, again, they'll apologize. But to me, I don't, I don't take any of it personally because you have to understand the people that you're working with are going through so much internally and until they know how to appropriately express it, that's what you're going to get. And that's, you know, for the first at least couple months, that's the person that you're going to be presented with. And you just have to roll it at work. We call it rolling with the resistance. You know, you just have to remember this isn't, again, this isn't about me. This is all about you. And what do we have to do to get you in a better place? Wow. So all, all this grace and patience and everything, you got this from your brother in essence, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I love that. He yeah. helps. He That's helps a right. lot. That's right. And I hope, I hopefully he got the same from you, right? I hope so. Yeah. Oh, man, I love that. So let's, I'm going to have to, uh, yeah, I'm going to send you that link for that podcast. Yeah, um, because it is, it is powerful as they go through some of these things in this book. Um, so what are some of the other things that you are passionate about that you're making a world of difference, I think, in a, in a few different areas? Um, you know, what in at Central, was it? You said women's studies? Women's? Yeah, so I was actually, um, I was in a women's leadership group called the Organization of Women Leaders, um, or OWLs for short. Um, and I actually, my senior year, ended up being the president of that organization. Um, so that was a huge part of my college career, too. Um, that provided me with an amazing group of women um, that I still keep in touch with you know, now I'm, now I'm in their weddings and yeah. different things like that. Um, so, and, you know, just general support on social media from them and staying in touch. Um, so that was a huge thing for me too. We did a lot of events um, surrounding, you know, sexual assault and um, equality and different things like that. So that was a huge piece of my identity at Central and still is now. That's very cool. So it's a big part of who you are and what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, so the, the race relations and stuff that um, definitely came through, they've always been there, but they definitely, you know, the, the full-blown light switch has been turned on uh, with George Floyd and, and everything else with the protests and everything else. But to, to me, and I'm looking for your opinion here, isn't it a bigger picture of just humanity and, and how we treat each other and how you know, um, women have always had problems, um, the politics problems that we've had. It's, it comes across the board, races and um, genders and everything else. It's a character thing yeah. on, on, on what we're doing here. And, um, you know, all of us are, are caught holding the bag now, so to speak, that we've got to do some things to fix some things. And I think a lot of us, you know, you know look to blame and point mm -hmm. fingers, especially politicians, but um, what are some things do you think that, you know, just average Joe and Josephine citizen can do that can make a difference? I think the biggest thing that I have dedicated to, and it's always been this way, but, you know, more so since things have started happening, because, you know, like you said, this has been a problem for a long time. Um, it's just more in our face now to the point where people have to come to terms with it. Right. Um, and I think the biggest, the easiest place to start and the most important thing is education and reading and watching documentaries and you know searching for that information and searching for finding finding out what other people's experiences are like because until we can understand 
what another person is going through, you're not going to be able to have that empathy for them or that sympathy for them because you won't understand it because you won't even know you haven't even asked. Um, and I think that that's something that I've really tried to do now is, you know, immerse myself in that information and read as many books and watch as many documentaries from all different points of view in order to understand. Um, and I think the other thing too is just not being afraid to have those conversations because you're going to make mistakes. You're going to say something stupid and somebody's going to check you and it's probably not going to feel good, right. but that's the only way you're going to grow. You're not going to grow staying in your comfort bubble. You know, if you're not reaching out and trying to find friends that friends and, you know, colleagues that have different experiences from you, you're not going to learn. You're mm. only going to know what's inside your bubble. Mm. Love that. Again, you know, some of my guests that I've had on my show, um, just like you, the, the teacher is now the student. I am <laughs> learning from you. I, I seriously, you know, a, a former student of mine um, teaching me so many valuable lessons uh, that you are. Um, and, and that's just, um, I'm just so blessed. I'm just so lucky to have this time with you. And so when you said, yeah, I want to do it, I was just like fired up because I just know the quality that you bring, that you've always been, you know, I've always yeah. seen you as this and you're just making a big difference. Um, shifting gears a little bit, music a big part of your life? Yeah. Like yes. going to concert type of stuff or just listening yeah. at home or jamming out in the car and people see you singing, they think you're crazy mm -hmm. and... Normally both, um, not, you know, no <laughs> concerts in this current state that we're living in, but normally Correct. both. <laughs> right. I saw the picture of uh, somewhere over in England, they got the concert. Oh yeah. With the cages. Yeah. The they had those little <laughs> individual tables almost with yeah. you know, little fences around them, you know, and six feet away, there's another one. It looked very like, what a great idea, like overcoming, yeah. instead of just saying, no, we can't have concerts. It's like, well, yeah, we can have them. Here's how we're going to do it. No, and coming from somebody who's been to a music festival, if we could just keep it that way. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of everyone being on top of you all the time, that would be great. We right. could just all have our own designated spaces forever. Right. You could <laughs> really enjoy. permanent COVID change. Yes. <laughs> like having those bubbles, those, those yes. igloo things in the wintertime. I love yeah. that. So what, what do you listen to to, to rejuvenate yourself? What, what just invigorates you? Um, favorite song, favorite band, just a genre of music. What, what do you go to? So I think I um, actually have like a, a happy days playlist um, and a, an artist that Johnny actually introduced to me. Um, he had always really liked Andy Grammer um, and he asked me to go to the concert with him. And at first I was like, yeah, I guess, you know, <laughs> sure, in your concert, face. <laughs> we can go, you know. Um, and I started to kind of listen to the music to prepare for it. And it was, it was pretty good. And then we went to the concert and the energy coming off of him and his band was just so great. Um, and all the songs are, they're just really deep. Um, mm -hmm. and he writes them based off, most of them based off of like his own experiences. Um, you know, and he actually put out an album called the good parts and the main song on it is talking about you know, he doesn't want to talk about the weather or like the mundane things. He wants to get to the good parts of people and talk about the deep things and talk about, you know, your soul and your passions. And that's what he likes. That's how he likes to interact with people. Mm. Um, and that's kind of the general theme of his music um, is just, you know, connecting with people and telling those stories. Mm. So that's wow. 
So it was definitely a good move because at first you were looking like, eh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> but it's like, cool, this is great. Yeah. Yeah. Now he, he tells me, he's like, I think you like him more than I do now. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I tell you what, Johnny sounds like a very smart dude. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just shake my head. Yes. I'm not yep. going to, you know, like I said, we got to. <laughs> there you go. Keep the ego down a little bit. <laughs> there you go. Keep, keep it real. Keep them, keep them attached to the ground. So yes. it's not like one of those um, Thanksgiving day uh, balloon right. things that just floats away. Right. We don't want to yes. get too big. That's awesome. Um, so who at Lakeshore, um, was there a teacher? Was there somebody that you really connected with? And I think, um, it's, it's Miss Wall, Mrs. Wallace now, but Ms. McComber. McComber. Yeah, yeah. Ms. McComber. Because um, yeah. I remember I was on the committee when we interviewed her for the job, uh, and she was just super, and she was just, um, I think, a, a big inspiration to a lot of kids. Was that the way it was for you and, and her? Yeah. Yeah. She, um, I think, is one of the first role models that I had that, like, really helped me find my confidence in just generally being a woman. Mm. Um, because she is such a strong, you know, smart, educated woman. Um, and I think she was, you know, and especially in the context of being in her journalism class. And that was a class where, you know, we did have a little bit more freedom. We didn't yes. have to necessarily follow a lesson plan or a structured type class. We had a lot more creative freedom and a lot more, you know, every week we would sit down and riffed off ideas about articles and she would give her input but ultimately she gave us a lot of freedom right. um and i think that was huge and you know shaping me to not be afraid of having opinions and not mm. be afraid of getting negative feedback or you know taking that negative feedback that i did get and learning from it Correct. Um, and i think that was a huge thing that she and her class taught me it's awesome because with those, you know, freedoms and different ways of doing things comes responsibility on your end, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you got to come through. Yes. Yeah. Lots of, lots of late nights. I like sure finishing things up there. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, I just remember you just did a great job there. And, uh, you know, I know she was special to you and, and your family. Um, yeah. and she, she was definitely missed when, when she, um, you know, the circumstances, whatever it was for her, um, leaving, um, whether it was the layoff or shifting of things and, but she wound up on her feet just like I knew she would she did, you know, yeah. doing a great job at Lonstrews North. And uh, yeah, she's a special lady and I know she's making uh, huge impacts uh, yeah. on the kids over there too, just like she did with uh, the kids at Lakeshore. Um, you know what? I, I love listening to, I don't know if you've listened to John O'Leary at all. A little bit. Yeah. And he always asked this question and I just find this intriguing because I'm interested in your answer. Um, the live inspired seven questions he asked. I'm just going to have one of them. Um, if you could sit on a park bench someplace and he says maybe on a beach, but I'm going to, there's two parts to this question sitting on a park bench. Number one, where is that bench at? So whether it's on the ocean, in a park, in the mountains, at home. Um, and who would you want to sit having a conversation with someone who's alive or even who's passed on, who's dead? Um, and who would that person be? Uh, so the two questions, where's the bench? What special uh, place and who are you sitting with? Um, so definitely by the ocean, <laughs> by, by some kind of water. It can be there a lake too, there um, but some kind of, some body of water. Um, wow. Um, you it know, could be, honestly, It could be more than one if you wanted to, it could be a big bench. 
yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think somebody who recently has really inspired me. Um, I read the book um, that was written by um, the uh, girl who was sexually assaulted by Brock Turner, Chanel Miller. Oh. Um, and hearing her experience was, I mean, that was, a, it was a tough book to get through. It was a very tough book to get through. Um, but it was so inspiring to see how she, you know, fought for justice for herself um, and, you know, overcame so many things. And I think that just getting to sit down with her and talk to her, you know, more in depth about that experience and um, connect on that level would be really interesting. Hmm. Well, what would be one of the questions you would want to ask her? Um, I think just, you know, where she found that strength from, mm -hmm. because there were so many dark points in the book and, you know, her whole recovery process through that and, you know, dealing with the justice system that isn't always, you know, that things don't always turn out the way that we want them to in the justice system. Um, and, you know, you can, you can pull a little bit from the book of, you know, support from her family and friends, but ultimately I feel like that strength comes from within you. Mm. And I'd just be interested to know where she, where she found that within herself to still overcome it, even after facing all of these hurdles and all these boundaries. Yeah, it's pretty powerful, isn't it? Because if we can tap into a little bit of that, that we can use, probably safe to say that we won't go through such a horrendous experience like she did. Right. But if we could still find the strength within our, ourselves to get through a bad experience that we're dealing with, that's pretty powerful stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's all I love that. So between that, uh, between the job that you do, what you see day in and day out, um, as, we, as we wrap things up here with Ashley Sheets, um, is there hope for our country? Is there hope for the world? Is there hope for humanity? Because, you know, we hear all the time of, you know, these are unprecedented times. We've never been through this and that. And I was listening to a podcast this morning, uh, Dr. Gary Chapman, uh, John O'Leary was talking to him. Um, and he was born right before World War I, World War II. And um, he kind of chuckled at that because he says, you know what, every generation says that, but we all go through our own tough times. And some right. of them are tougher than others. And it, it's hard to, you know, just like a sport, you know, is Michael Jordan better or LeBron James, you know? You can't have these arguments of what, which is worse, right? But right. for what we're going through now in our lifetimes, do you see hope? Do you see uh, a brighter light? Um, and it could be many different examples, but do you see that for us? I do. Um, I think that it's really easy to focus on the negative because mm -hmm. we, again, this is I'm going for my master's in psychology right now, and you're, our nice. brains focus on, yeah. <laughs> Our brains focus on the difference, you know, and our brains focus on that negative thing, but there's so much positive too. There, mm -hmm. For every negative story that there is that's super loud, there are three or four positive stories that are just a little bit more quiet. And I think the biggest thing is we just, we have to connect with one another. And it's mm -hmm. so easy to do now. You know, we have 
again, a computer at our fingertips at all times, you know, and it's just, it takes a little bit of effort to just reach out and connect with another person and ask them about their experiences and, you know, ask them about what Andy Grammer refers to as the good parts, you know, ask them about those things that they're passionate about and ask them about their soul and ask them about things that are important to them. And that's all it takes, Mm. you know, to make those connections and move forward in a world that's a little less hectic. Yes, I love that. And the point that you made, you know, for one big loud negative thing, there's three or four little good things going on. But if you take those three or four little good things and add them together, they kind of overshadow the negative or they kind of, you know, settle that down a little bit. And and there is stuff that we can look to get through the big negative thing. So I just, I love the way you put that. And you know what, so you're going, where are you going for your master's at? Um, So my work is actually paying for it. Um, So it's an online accelerated program at uh, Ashford University. They're based out of California. Nice. Well, you know what? The the place that you're working at is making one hell of an investment because you're worth it. Let me tell you, that's where I was (laughs) going with that. You are are going places with that. Um, And the world needs more people doing what you're doing. Um, especially it's not just a job for you. It's, it's something that you see yourself making a difference every day. Plus you're investing in yourself to do more and, and get better, which I think a lot of people, if they, if they find that thing that they can do that with, that's, that's just incredible. That's just fantastic. Awesome. Well, good deal. You know what? That was a great way to end it. Um, anything else you wanted to share with the listeners? You know, last time I looked, um, I think it's over 90, it, it's been listened to in 90 different countries which I'm just blown away from, you know, to where these people, you know, come from to listen to some dork, you know, some <laughs> guy talking about basketball and teaching and life and, and lessons and um, having fun at, at trying to have fun at the same time doing it. But uh, any, any parting little thoughts or words of wisdom or uh, things that you'd like to share with everybody? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, first of all, I think, you know, we've said this in our conversations, but, you know, you, I'm glad that we can have these conversations now because you were such a huge influence on me and my family and, you know, my friends in high school. Um, so I appreciate that. Um, you. And, you know, just, just care about people and love on people and learn people's stories. Because mm. um, we're not, we're not going to be here forever. And it's important to make genuine connections and have people that are supportive of you and in your corner, because that's the only way that we can be successful. Love that. Love that. We all got stories, don't we? We all, yeah. the ups and downs, and it's, we can learn so many lessons from each other because we are, when it comes down to it, you know, genetically and everything else, scientifically, right? We are more alike people. than we are different, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. All right, my friend, great talking to you. Just hang on the line here as I wrap yeah. up and, and we can yeah. talk after, but folks, my goodness, again, Ending my, that's uh, not the end of the day here. It's, not, it's almost four o'clock. I just got to start thinking about dinner before my wife gets home from work. Um, but ending my day, so to speak, here with, uh, with this gem of a human being, um, man, it just, this blew me away as far as what I thought I would get out of it. I got more. I, I really did in this conversation. So uh, thank you, Ashley, for, for being here. And I hope you guys got a lot out of this. And, and I hope, um, you know, you want to reach out. Uh, I'll grab some contact information from Ashley. I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, where you can find uh, her and, and talk with her a little bit because I know she's got a lot of things to share and help people with. Uh, but again, find me over on Facebook, you guys, over at Coach to Expect Success, over on Twitter at Coach to Success, Coach John Daly over at Instagram and Coach to Expect Success.com. The great book list is there. 
Um, I'm going to add some more to it there. Uh, I'll probably take a few from uh, Ashley's favorite books, and I'll have to go get them in my book list now and, and read them and get them on that list for you guys. But uh, you can leave me a comment over there, too, on the homepage as well. All right, you guys, keep taking care of yourselves and each other. We'll talk again soon. See ya.